0: Dan Barker is a former evangelical preacher turned atheist, author of Free Will Explained, How Science and Philosophy Converge to Create a Beautiful Illusion. So do we have free will, and if we don't, why do we feel it like we do, right? Like, I, I don't know, there's, there's a whole lot of confusion in this conversation. In, in what the author calls a godless universe governed by impersonal laws of cause and effect, are you responsible for your actions? Well, former evangelical minister Dan Barker unveils a novel solution to the question and has baffled, uh, well, this whole thing has baffled scientists and philosophers for millennia. He outlines the concept of what he calls harmonic free will. That'd be a good name for a band. Mm-hmm. A two-dimensional perspective that pivots the paradox on its axis to show that there is no single answer. Both sides are right. Free will is a useful illusion, not a scientific but a social truth Again, the book is Is uh, is called Free Will Explained How Science and Philosophy Converge to Create a Beautiful Illusion uh, He and his wife are also the, uh, the big kahunas At the, uh, the big kahunas Free Thought uh, Sorry, Freedom from Religion Foundation I am uh, thrilled to talk to Dan Barker right now Dan, where what part of the world do you live in?
1: I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, and that's where the headquarters of the Freedom from Religion Foundation exist.
0: Um, When people, I'm friends with a guy named Andy Kindler, comedian from LA, and and uh, he he does not like the. Um, dogmatic atheism folks out there. He doesn't like the you know like a raving evangelical lunatic. He would go the other way and say oh man these these there's some atheists out there that are just insane and they're so abrasive and they, they just hate everything blah 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 Do you even see that at all in your world? Do you see extremes? There must be extremes
1: Yeah every group has its extremes and you know I know thousands tens of thousands of atheists around the world and he's right there's maybe 5 or maybe 10% of atheists who are a real pains in the butt but that's true in every religion that's yeah. true in every group you've got your extreme fringes you know committing violence and but in general most of the atheists and agnostics that i know are just basic people you know you know like you just uh, quote you just mentioned sting uh sting didn't believe in god sting said uh, if you ask me if i'm religious i'm i'm a devout musician is what he said yeah. musician music puts me in touch with something and James Taylor, James Taylor said, "You know, God isn't really a thing. God's just a question." You know, and so most atheists and non-believers and agnostics that I know are just regular, decent people living their lives. You know, you know, on this continent, there's tens of millions of people who don't believe in a God. And yeah, if you go online and you look at the chat rooms, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna hear from some of those jerks. You know, but uh, but you know, they don't speak for all of us.
0: No, no. Uh, Okay, well, when it comes to free will, let me let me throw out there how I this might be the only real free will conversation I sort of have. And I and and I'd love your opinion on this. And and it kind of is in the context of love. So back in my dating games, if I put a gun to some chick's head and said, uh, you're going to love me. And she says, I love you. (laughs) That's not exactly real love. Uh, love requires choice, and choice requires free will. Re- in order for there to be authentic, real, uh, pure love, there needs to be choice and free will. And and then you know that also then ties in with the God stuff as well. But I I, I start with the relationship side of things. You know, uh, am I am I goofy for saying it like that?
1: No, I think that's exactly right. And you know, even the staunchest determinists, you know, like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, who's an utter materialist, even they will have to throw up their hands and say, you know, everything is cause and effect, there's no free will, but we live our lives with choice as if there is. It's a paradox, right? So I think love is a good example, because when I was a believer, you know, Moses said in Deuteronomy... Uh, choose life that you and your descendants may live, and so some believers say, "Well, there's free will in the Bible." See, Moses said to choose. Others, the Calvinists, they all say, "Well, no, there's no, it's all predestined." But <laughs> believers don't even agree. If you ask, to put two Christians together, they're going to argue about free will. And you know, Martin Luther said no, and Aquinas said yes. But uh, when it comes to things like love, or one of the examples I use in my book is beauty. When you look, when you see something that's beautiful there's a judgment that your brain makes and you, you know, beauty doesn't exist out there. It's not some thing that's out in the universe. It's, it happens in our minds and love is the same way. What kind of love is it when Moses said you should choose God, and then when you read what God says, I will, I will give you blessings, but if you don't love me, all these curses will come upon you, pestilence and fire and plague, and I will make your mothers eat their children. He goes on and on and on. What kind of love is that? That's,
0: that's really the
1: gun to the head is what religion is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except you know that there were there are those in the Jesus scene uh, who hunker down to the grace stuff, who would say things like, "Well, hold on, when it comes to God, it's the same kind of thing." And and here's here's sort of a, I don't know. I guess I'm on a rant now. Let me finish this off by saying uh, I can understand that we, you know, people say, "How can something bad happen to someone good?" Well, I can, I can get that. You know, bad things happen to good people because we live in a world where we have choice and freedom and free will and blah 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 and then i kind of then go a little squirrely though when i walk out of the children's exhibit at at the holocaust memorial in jerusalem and i then go okay i can understand a bad thing happening to a few people here and there but millions like what were you sleeping god like what was that yeah
1: well all you have all you have to do is walk into any children's hospital and you know there's no god or at least there's no god who who cares and loves about people there, there, there might be an evil God. In fact, the Bible, God calls himself evil on many occasions. But if you define God as a good thing, and why, why would we define it as a good thing? A lot of religions have a God who's a, a monster. Well, if you define God that way, then just your experience shows that he,
0: or she, or it, or whatever cannot exist.
1: Any good that's going to be done, we're going to have to do it ourselves in this world.
0: So you had mentioned that uh, even religious people disagree on what free will is. Put two Christians in a room, they're going to disagree, a Calvinist and a and, and, uh, Marminiist. Uh, so what about atheists? Are they all unified on the free will stuff? Nope.
1: Atheism is just as much of a battle. In fact, uh, you probably have the book, you see that um, Stephen Pinker and Robert Sapolsky endorsed the book because they like it they they're in in Daniel Dennett the philosopher they are what you might call they're strict determinists but they're compatibilists but others i asked richard dawkins because he's he's written forward to some of my other books and richard wrote some blurbs for my other books and i asked him if he would write a blurb for this one and he said no way he said i'm not wading into those waters because the arguments on free will are almost as bad as theologians, you know what I mean? Even even among atheists, it's a friendly argument. I mean, we're not, we're not creating holy wars over this, but Jerry Coyne, for example, at, at, in Chicago, he and I disagree quite strongly about free will, and yeah, we're good buddies, you know? So Richard Dawkins says, I don't want to wade into those waters, and he said, Dan, you're very bold to write a book about free will when there is so much controversy over this apparent paradox.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, l- let's let's roll this back a little bit, if you don't mind. Dan Barker on the uh, line with us. He's a former evangelical preacher turned atheist. He's author of Free Will, explained how science and philosophy converge to create a beautiful illusion. So let's go back to the basics here. What is it, and why does it freaking matter? Like, why does it practically matter in our day-to-day life? Whether this is a pre- I mean, aside from those, you know, armchair philosophers out there, who want a dialogue about this stuff? As far as the average schmo or some meathead hockey player, why, why does it matter?
1: Yeah, well, what I've is it? Why the, does it matter? I've been to Tim Hortons, so I know about <laughs> hockey players. <laughs> um, you sound—you're like my—I'm um, not saying anything about Tim Hortons. I like the place actually. But uh, my my wife, my wife Annie Laurie asked that very question she doesn't care about this topic she wonders why i care she wonders why i got up at 5 every morning to write this book and uh, some people say who cares we live our lives as if we have free will and my daughter glenn uh, i you know i said to her a couple years ago i think free will is an illusion and she says well if it's an illusion uh, then we have free will and, and so they get it it's not a big deal I and mean, yet some of us and if you you know there's a huge Huge bunch of books out there, Sam Harris wrote a huge book about it, and they're all there's an encyclopedia of free will, which is six hundred pages long. So uh, you know, it's, it's called a Handbook of Free will. It looks like an encyclopedia. so yeah, uh, and and the the reason why it matters is if if you don't have free will, are you morally accountable? If all your decisions were made by pre-existing cause and effect, then can't you just say to the judge and the jury, hey don't blame me, the universe made me do this, so it's not my fault. Like, like how do you feel if you find out that the convicted felon actually had a brain tumor which was affecting their decisions? Your, your, your judgment is mitigated somewhat by saying, oh, well that wasn't totally in their control, was it? So are they really morally guilty? So it's really a question of moral accountability, whether we have free will or not, mm-hmm. And of course, the other question, uh, besides that, besides the scientific one, is uh, why do we feel like we do? Each of us feels like it. Even if you're a strict determinist and you don't think there's any free will, you don't go into the restaurant and look at the menu and say, "Oh, just give me whatever the universe dictates." I mean, you're choosing. You're you're exercising an autonomous choice as a as a personal agent, and you feel like you're responsible for your actions. So that's a paradox that needs some kind of explanation.
0: You know, it's interesting, you you remind me of a conversation that happens during the Landmark Forum. You ever heard of one of them, Landmark Forums? Landmark? Yeah, I've never been to one, though. So I I was at one this summer, uh, first time, and uh, fascinating, uh, interesting thing. And one thing they do in the final day is they do this whole, get someone up front, and they go, uh, chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream, choose. And they choose one. Let's say they choose chocolate. And then the guy says, why? And a person goes, well, because I like chocolate ice cream. Nope. It's not it. They do it again. Chocolate or vanilla? Choose. Chocolate. Why? Well, because it's, it's, it goes better with different... Nope, that's not it. Why? And they do this sometimes for like a half an hour and you're just going na-na sitting in the seat watching this gong show. And what they want the, the people to get to is chocolate or vanilla? Choose. Chocolate. Why? Because I chose chocolate. Does that tie in at all with what you're talking about or did I just go out on some weird space limb there? <laughs>
1: No, actually, um, one of the chapters in my new book has chocolate and strawberry. It's a, diff- it's a different deal, but uh, that's, the, that's the example that I use. And, you know, choosing chocolate over vanilla is, you know, some philosophers talk about latitude. The more choices you have, the more latitude of freedom. That's not a very big choice in life. I mean, choosing what college you're going to or what person you're going to marry, I mean, there's, a, there's other choices that have a wider latitude of options to them. And so, yeah, uh, when, when it boils down to it, everybody in that situation would have to say, well, it was because my brain made that decision. Why? Well, because I have these genetics that came from my parents. Why? And, and every question why comes back to a natural cause. It's a natural thing. Why do I have my proclivities, my talents, my abilities, my strengths, my likeness? Where did those come from? What is it that makes me, me, and you, you? And did either of us choose that? No. It was handed to us by what? By natural... Laws of natural selection. And so, even though we have this illusion that we are these discrete individual people, there science science tells us, and that's the problem. Most scientists tell us we don't actually have what you call libertarian free will, not not to be confused with the political party, but uh, uh, religious people would would call it a soul or a spirit or something that transcends the natural world. It's like 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 our brains are these little gods that are above and beyond nature that can violate cause and effect we don't have that. We cannot violate cause and effect, therefore you cannot have chosen other than chocolate, or whatever you chose, by going back through the linear horizontal chain of cause and effect. So scientifically, we do not have free will. We can all say without any doubt, there's no such thing. However, what my book does is I flip the perspective from horizontal to vertical. Instead of looking at cause and effect across time, you flip it to look at vertical, which is kind of like the difference between melody and harmony. Melody is notes on a staff through time. Harmony is a background vertical structure that gives melody its meaning. If you look at the vertical structure of our social lives, there are these truths that come into existence that are not scientific truths, but they are social truths, like marriage or like money or like other things or like a verdict in a trial a verdict in a trial stands for truth it might be wrong the verdict might be actually wrong but we say it's true by a social convention free will is not a scientific truth it's a social truth that we use in order to ju- justify our moral judgments it exists not in the scientific world but it exists within the realm of social understanding
0: okay hold on man i you know what you, you what happened there was you actually caught me listening Um, Okay, please use an analogy that will help someone like me understand better someone like you. And I'm hoping that you'll use something that has to do with music, like maybe jazz versus classical.
1: Well, that's in the book, uh, because I'm a jazz pianist. And uh, um, in the book, I write this, I compose right in the book, A Little Melody. And looking at that melody, um, the last note feels like it's up and wants to pull down just because of the human ear. And if you listen to music, E, F, G, A-flat, if you do that, the A-flat wants to come back down to the chord tone, right? To the G. Looking at it melodically, that note, that last note, feels like it's up and wants to pull down. However, if you look at it instead of horizontally like melody, look at it vertically like harmony, you see that A-flat is part of an F minor chord, and in the context of harmonic structure, that A-flat doesn't feel up. It feels down and wants to pull up because a minor chord is a lowering of feeling. So that A-flat can be either up or down depending which perspective or which axis you're looking at. So it's not a contradiction to say that that single note is up and wants to pull down, but no, it's down and wants to pull up. Then I give examples from George Gershwin and, and Nora Jones and Duke Ellington and others who act, where that actually happens. You can go either direction, and it's, not, it's a paradox, but it's not, neither answer is right. You know what I'm saying? Both answers are right depending on what question you're asking. And I think free will is the same way. If you're asking the scientific question horizontally like Melody, No. We don't have free will. The note is up and wants to pull down. But if you're asking a social question within social truth in a vertical structure, we have to say, yes, the note is down and wants to pull up. So you can say yes and no at the same time. You can say true and false at the same time, depending on how you flip the perspective. So those of us who think there's no such thing as scientific free will can still relax and say, yeah, but we do have free will in the social harmonic structure of where we actually live our lives as social
0: human beings. (laughs) Okay. I'm not quite sure how to word this question, Dan, so bear with me. Um, What is your response to people that have heard what you are saying and they've said, dude, I checked out a long time ago, this is way above my pay grade.
1: (laughs) Well, then they
0: don't need a book like this. They they they're just happy living their lives. You know, it's like, "Well, what's wrong with that? I is that bad? Like, do you want to shake people and go, "Folks, folks, I don't know why I'd say that, but folks, you got to you got to get this, man. This is important stuff." Obviously, it's important to you. You wrote a book about it. It's part of your ethos. It's part of what you you're all about. But do, does it not drive you bonkers at how dopey everyone else is or how, apathetically, how how apathetic we are, whether it be philosophically apathetic or spiritually apathetic or whatever?
1: Well, I'm just saying it's okay. Whatever you say about free will is okay. And I think there's some scientists, and you know, like the grammar police come along correcting everybody. <laughs> like, uh, like if you say, I saw the sunrise, and somebody says, stupid don't say sunrise the sun isn't rising it's the earth that's spinning and it's, it's an illusion mm-hmm. right and you, and then you say well duh, i know that but i'm still going to say sunrise because to me it looks like the sun's rising we all say that as part of our vocabulary so the, the point i'm trying to make is it doesn't it doesn't matter if you want to say no or yes it does, you can live your life and one of the examples i give is a little chipmunk in the backyard and we're buddies now and he jumps on my lap and you know he's really fun he's just a wild animal out of nature and yet I don't think that chipmunk's thinking, why did I think that? What is my moral framework? What is my worldview? You know what I mean? It's an animal living its life like it lives its life, and it looks like it's choosing. It looks like it's making choices. Mm -hmm. So we're animals, too, and we're living our lives, and it looks like we're choosing, and it looks like the sun is rising, so that's what we say, and we can say that. So uh, I think my book would be of interest to people who wrestle with the paradox, who read other books about philosophy and and religion, and who care about was, was Martin Luther right or was Thomas Aquinas right? I mean, there's some people who care about those things, but otherwise, <laughs> my wife, Annie Laurie, a wonderful, moral, smart, reasonable person, she she didn't even want to read half of it. She said, okay, I got enough out of this. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so <laughs> Other, interesting.
1: And I talk about her a lot in the book, too, and, you know, I'm, and, uh, and I said, you need to keep reading because I'm giving you some compliments in this book, Annie Laurie. But uh, but others, and we're all different, right? Some people don't read philosophy at all, mm-hmm. some people don't read theology at all, and you know, most people who go to church don't even read the Bible. Mm-hmm. They read two or three verses, you know. But there are others who do, and so those who do, and who think about the paradox, and who wonder about uh, what is the basis of our moral accountability, will find a book like this very interesting.
0: Dan, just before we say goodbye, this is so unfair of what I'm about to ask you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Can you give us like a two-minute rundown of your journey from evangelical Christianity to atheism? Like, pretend the plane's going down and you want to sell me.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you do well, that? The, I don't know. Well, well, I would hand you my book, Godless, and say, read fast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um yeah, well, I I was 19 years as a Christian evangelical preacher. I really loved it. I really believed it, and then I went through a four or five year process. It wasn't overnight, where I was reading more, thinking that my faith was becoming strengthened, and I would read more of this and more of that. And uh, as I grew, I thought I was becoming a more subtle, more sophisticated. You know, because I was a I was a born again type. You know, I was knocking on door, street preacher, missionary. Uh, but then I gradually migrated across the Christian spectrum, across the theological spectrum, where I was less conservative, more moderate, and then for a few years more of a liberal type. And finally, I dumped out all the bathwater, and I said, hey, there's no baby there. And for purely intellectual reasons, not emotional or there was no moral question. I just said, I can't believe this anymore. And I know at least... you you may not believe this, but I know at least 800 other former clergy, pastors and priests, who came to the same conclusion. The more they studied, the more they read, the more they learned, the less they believe, especially if you really read the Bible, you will come out becoming an atheist at the end. And that was my book, God, the Most Unpleasant Character, that came out last year. Mm -hmm. So it was an intellectual process that deserves more than a two-minute answer.
0: Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, and you have something to do with the clergy project as well. Is that, are, you, are you tied in with those guys?
1: Well, I was one of the founders. In fact, yeah. it, was me, it was me, Daniel Dennett, and Richard Dawkins, the three of us, and two of their associates. We started it back in 2011 with 52 clergy, uh, and about a quarter of the group are still in the pulpit. Right now there are preachers who want to get out, but they can't yet. And so we're trying to help them with an exit strategy so that they can. And you can look us up online at clergyproject.org, and if you are a clergy struggling, you can contact us and meet others who are going through or have gone through that process.
0: Uh, Dan, thank you. Can I just apologize? I can't believe it's taken me, you know, this long to kind of get you get you on the show again and just, kind of just talk, and, you, you know, I like your style, your approach. I'm a little bugged that someone on our Facebook page posted the usual... You know, he needs to repent, otherwise he's getting people to go to hell. I mean, really? You're following my show and you're posting that? Like, what? Uh, anyway. <laughs>
1: well, I I think it's a compliment because I think that listener is actually gra- grappling with the issues. They're thinking about it. We disagree, but at least
0: uh, no, we have to say I, that. No, I think the opposite. I don't think they're thinking about it. I think that's a con- that's tribal conditioning. That's all that is.
1: Yeah, but there's something prompt. Something prompted their anger, and I think
0: well, a lot of that true. is doubt. That's true. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, you're right, Dan. Thank you again for your time. Former evangelical preacher turned atheist, author of Free Will, explained how science and philosophy converged to create a beautiful illusion. A website you may want to go to is ffrf. dot org. dot org. That's Freedom from Religion Foundation. dot org. Uh, I'm sure we'll speak again, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. All right. Bye bye.